Good morning. Good to see you all today. Uh, I took a trip to Kansas last week, and uh, some people don't like to fly. I don't mind it. You know, I'm one of those that thinks it's actually pretty cool to like hurtle through the air thousands of feet above, uh, above the ground in a steel box flying hundreds of miles an hour, right? <laughs> Uh, but even the actual act of flying is pretty amazing. I think we'd all agree that the preparations to take a flight can kind of take some of the joy out of the experience. Right? You're packing and having to get to the airport early, going through security, all that. Uh, can, it's not the most pleasant of experiences. And if you have an early flight, that means you have to get up even earlier to get to the airport to go through all of that. That was my situation. And so uh, I was getting ready to go to the airport uh, morning last week, and I saw a notification on my phone that my plane had actually been delayed. Uh, and in some cases, that's, that would be kind of nice, right? You can kind of sleep in a little bit longer, or take a little bit, uh, ease into the morning before you have to get to the airport. Except for me, I had a connecting flight in Chicago O'Hare. Uh, and so my layover time went from about a little over an hour to about 15 minutes to get from one part of O'Hare to the other. And so long story short, I decided to get to the airport at the normal time that I would have anyway so that I could hurry through security, find a boarding agent, try to find, you know, talk through if I needed to make any changes to get to my destination on time. And so I'm hurrying to get ready. I'm rushing to the airport. I get to the airport around 6 a.m. I'm trying to get through security so I can talk to somebody. And I get up to the TSA agent, I hand her my boarding pass and my ID. She looks it over. I'm ready to go. And she looks up at me and she says, uh, sir, this is the wrong airport. Now, luckily, what she meant <laughs> is that in my haste, I had handed her the Chicago hair boarding pass and not the... I, I still think she could have worded it differently. I'm not bitter about that or anything, right? Uh, you can imagine for about three seconds, my face and my heart sunk. I probably looked like I had been punched in the gut. And in that short period of time before I realized what she was actually talking about, uh, I remember one thought going through my head. How could I be in the wrong place? Like, there's not other airports in Raleigh, right? How could I be in the wrong place? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Uh, maybe you weren't standing in a TSA line at the airport. Maybe you were sitting at your desk at work uh, after getting that promotion that you would work so hard to get only to be just as dissatisfied or, dissatisfied or frustrated as you were before. Or maybe it was when you'd finally gotten even with that person and finally got, come out on top only to find that getting to that place didn't take away the pain or the frustration or the hurt. Or maybe it was looking at your bank statement one day and wondering why even though you had finally arrived at the number that you thought always thought would be enough, why you were still feeling anxious or um, insecure. After all I've done, Getting to this place, after all I've putting, put into uh, arriving here, how could I be in the wrong place? If you've ever asked yourself that question, you know how disorienting of experience that can be. And for the Corinthians, uh, the Christians who were living in Corinth in the first century AD, they were heading down a path, I think, that was going to lead them to that place. I think Paul recognized it, and that's part of what he addresses in a letter that he wrote to them that we now know and uh, we now have in our Bibles as the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been working through that book through the majority of this year in this masterclass series. And over the last few weeks in particular, we've been looking uh, around a number of issues related to the subject of spiritual gifts or these special manifestations of God's Spirit that He gives to every believer uh, so that we might help Him build up the church. 
And this issue is kind of uh, contained within chapters 12 to 14 of 1 Corinthians. And we've actually, because of uh, a number of reasons, looked at these chapters a little out of order. Last week, you might remember that Dylan looked at the first half of chapter 14. We're actually going to take a step back and look at chapter 13 today. But I think that actually works into our best interests because for those of you who were last, here last week, you might have remembered that as we were looking through that passage, Paul actually comments on and addresses that the Corinthians, they were eager for these, these gifts. They were, they were eager for receiving them, for seeking them out. In verse 12 of chapter 14, he says, Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. So I think it's important right off the bat that we recognize that, that because of this and other clues, we know that for whatever reason, this was a subject of significant interest for the uh, Christians living at this place. And, and from what I can tell, as Dylan and I have talked and we've looked through these chapters, and as I've tried to imagine the, the context or a possible setting behind what Paul is saying here, uh, it seems to me like there were a, a number of divisions or factions kind of working in the church at that time that had set up specific ones of these or specific kinds of these manifestations or gifts as, as right or more important or more influential than the others. So maybe you had this group over here that, was, that were kind of like the prophet people, right? These were the people who were really into uh, prophecy and, and uh, seeking messages of truth that God could deliver uh, to them for the sake of other people and their church. And, and so you have the prophet people. You, over here you have the, like, the tongue speakers, right? These were people who, for, who either could or desired to speak in some kind of spiritual prayer language and commune with God in a special way. Uh, and then maybe, you know, whoever knows, you know, who knows, we might have had one or two other groups in the mix as well. I know this is, some of this is my imagination, but I think from what we can tell, what's clear is that while these gifts were meant for the building up of the church, the Corinthians had turned it into a kind of turf war. Uh, you can think of like the West Side story, except instead of the jets and the sharks, you have like the profs and the tongues, right? So like the, the profs are over here, right? And then like the, the tongues are over here like la-la, la-la-la. Yeah, that's right. I'm sorry. I won't do that again. That's bad. Sorry. Um, and so in the middle of this, Paul comes in and tries to mediate and, and work through this conflict that the Corinthians were experiencing. And he explains that, yes, these Corinthians, these gifts that God is giving you is for building up the church, not tearing it apart. And just to give you one more clue of context before we jump into what he's going to tell us today, the last thing that he speaks to them in chapter 12, uh, if you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember this. He says, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. So as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today, I think it's important that we notice as we lead into it that, one, he validates their desire for these gifts, right? He, he validates that this is something worth seeking. But at the same time, he encourages them that there is a better way, a better path to take them to focus all of their energies, all of their focuses, all of their... Uh, attention on this one specific issue. And if you're the Corinthians, you might wonder if they were asking, what could be better than, than God's Spirit literally manifesting and working through me in a supernatural way? Like, what could be better than the power to do miracles? Have you ever, ever wondered that would be nice? God, if you're passing out, miracles would be nice. I, I don't mind that at all, right? Or what could be better than the ability to speak in the language of the angels themselves? 
And that's the question we lead into. If you have your Bibles, if you haven't turned there already, I encourage you to open it to 1 Corinthians 13. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those Bibles out of the seat back in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, we would love for you to take this home as uh, this church's gift to you so you can read and study on your own more. Uh, if you grab one of those Bibles, the page number's on the screen. Let's read the first three verses to start. Follow along. It says, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith so I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over even my own body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what we see here is that Paul's answer to the Corinthians' question of what could be better, what could be better than these manifestations, what could be better than the power to do miracles themselves, is love. Love is the better way, the better path to take. And in order to help round out our understanding of what he means, I think Paul is going to speak about love in a few different ways throughout chapter 13 that we're going to look at, three different kind of ways of thinking about love uh, that, and why it's so important, not only for the Corinthians, but for you and for me. And the first thing I think that we see Paul talking about here in these first few verses is that he tells the Corinthian church that love is necessary. Love is necessary. You, just because you have the ability to do these things, if you don't have love, you're a, a, a clanging gong. You're useless. You're, it's pointless if you don't have love. Love is necessary for these things to be done well. And you know, I think this is probably out of all of Paul's points, maybe something that we probably get, you know, just is, is not that surprising to us. I mean, we value love in our culture as well. It's talked about a lot. We can love our wives. We can love pizza. We can just love everything, right? We even have our own prophets who not so long ago went out and, and said some amazing and very powerful, important things about love, uh, who even though they grew up, these men grew up on a different continent and grew up at a different time than us, their words continue to resonate and to be heard today. Um, there's nothing you can do that can't be done. There's nothing you can sing that can't be sung, Right? All you need is love. All you need is love. Everybody, come on. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. See, we get it. We understand this, right? That was beautiful, by the way. Very good. And okay, maybe the Beatles aren't quite on the same plane as the Apostle Paul. Okay, I get, and, and I don't think that maybe Paul is even saying here that Love is all you need. I think he would say Jesus is all you need, and love is a big part of that. Um, but nevertheless, we see here that George, Paul, Ringo, and John, and Paul agree <laughs> that love is necessary. Uh, and I think um, even if some of you have been struggling to really kind of put your finger on the these spiritual gift stuff that we've been talking about for the last few weeks, even if that's kind of a murky thing. I know that it's always sometimes hard to get all of the, the nuts and bolts of that down right. I think we all get on like a fundamental level um, 
what it's like for there to be a disconnect between a gift given and love behind it, right? How many of you have ever found yourselves walking around a mall or a store in the days leading up to Christmas or a birthday, just looking for like a ray of hope, right? Something, anything that could work. Uh, My wife, Lauren, and I, we aren't big gift givers. That's just not kind of the, the natural way that we kind of show love to one another. We, so typically if we give gifts, they're usually revolved around like dates. Like, so if it's a, my birthday, we'll go out and we'll do something that I like to do or vice versa. But nonetheless, when it comes to Christmas, we typically uh, get each other one or two small gifts uh, for, you know, uh, to celebrate. And a few years ago, I was stumped. I was just having a really hard time figuring out what I was going to get her. And the day was ever approaching. And, and so I'm racking my brains, and I was actually cleaning around the house one day, and I was sweeping and trying to figure out what I could get her, and I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm pondering this. And because I was distracted thinking about this, I actually ran over her power cord to her phone, and I like just completely shredded it, right, with the vacuum. And so now I'm even more frustrated, right? I'm like, come on, like, I got to get this gift, and now I'm breaking things. This is just ridiculous. But then it dawned on me, right? Now she needs a power cord. <laughs> right? It's like... God has provided, right? And, uh, and so I, in my infinite wisdom, go to the store. I buy our new power cord. I wrap it up. I, I, and so more, Christmas morning comes. We're all opening our gifts. Hand her the box. She opens it up. And there, lo and behold, right? Exactly. Uh, uh, and she has this, I think, very practical, sensible, obviously needed gift, Right? And she looks down, and then she looks up, and she gives me this look, right? Uh, Let me see if I can... It's something like... uh, (laughs) How many of you have ever gotten that look before, right? This is the... uh, You know, yeah. Uh, Pray for me. Okay, I'm working on it. But love is necessary for giving gifts well, right? We we know that a, a flower single flower given with love and thoughtfulness behind it can mean more than a million dollars given from a cold heart. Or that we appreciate, you can appreciate a crayon drawing from your three-year-old son more than something well sensible and practical, right? Uh, Love is necessary for giving gifts well, and we get this when it comes to Christmases and birthdays, but what Paul is telling us is that it's also necessary when it comes to the gifts that God has given to us and that he asks us to give into the lives of others. That love is necessary for that gift to have meaning and significance and purpose. Uh, love is necessary. But that's not all Paul has to say about love, so I'd love for you to continue, no pun intended, uh, in the next few verses and see what else he has to say. Starting in verse 4, Paul says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness or injustice, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Now, even if you aren't a Christian today, and if that's you, by the way, we love that you're here and we hope that this is a meaningful experience for you. Um, But even if you're not a Christian here today and you've never heard a sermon before in your life, 
chances are you've actually probably heard these verses at some point in your life, right? These are, these are pretty famous, well-known verses. They're the most common reading at a wedding, uh, in, at least in America or in the Western world today. Uh, those of you who are my age or older, you might remember that uh, Tony Blair, England's prime minister at the time, actually read this passage at Princess Diana's funeral in 1997. And I think it's pretty obvious why this is such a popular passage, right? Why this kind of transcends even Christian circles into the broader culture. Uh, Paul paints a beautiful picture of love here. I mean, it's powerful. It's poetic. It just kind of rolls off the tongue, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, it just warms the heart. In fact, there's a British evangelist from the 1900s, Alan Redpath, that he once said about this passage that one could get a, a spiritual suntan from the warmth <laughs> of this passage. And while, yes, I do think that these are powerful and beautiful words, and, and who knows, maybe you do wish that we had passed out sunscreen on your way into service today. Uh, but nevertheless, I think we miss something important if we isolate these verses from the context in which they were spoken, if we forget why and to whom Paul is speaking these words, right? I think we do ourselves a disservice if we paint these words against a backdrop of of rainbows and sunshine and think that Paul is saying here that love is butterflies in the stomach, love's a head rush, it's passion and palm sweats, it's, it's shortness of breath and flowers and chocolates and beauty. I think actually what Paul is telling the Corinthians here is that love is hard. Love is hard. I mean, look over this list and ask yourself, how many of these things do I do well day in and day out? patient, kind, do not seek my own advantage, not irritable, keeps no record of wrongs. These are things that are hard to do consistently, especially with those that we're not too pleased with. Paul here is speaking to a group of Christians who aren't living in paradise, right? Like this isn't a honeymoon period like a newlywed couple for them, right? They're living in the midst of a storm. There's divisions in the church, there's chaos in their services. A few weeks ago, we found out that there's a guy sleeping with his stepmother. This is not a picture of serenity here at this church, all right? And it's precisely into this context of chaos that Paul speaks when he says that when you're in the midst of a situation or a conflict like that, the better path, the better way is not to fight about who's right or not to debate about who's important or who's the most influential. It's to love those who are around you, even the ones who are across the line. Take a look, uh, take a close look at what Paul describes, how Paul describes love in light of this background, and I think you might see that Paul's understanding of love here is more action than feeling, right? How many of you are just naturally predisposed to be patient and kind with the people who are yelling at you and uh, annoying you, right? That's not the way that I operate to typically. So love for Paul here is a decision more than a sentiment. It might, love might take us to the mountaintops, yeah, but it's built in the trenches. Uh, love is a choice. Love is work. Love is hard. And when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, we too have a choice to make. We can take the easy path or the easy road of speaking our mind or ignoring or avoiding the people we find annoying or frustrating or, or reciprocating hurt with hurt. But that's not what we are called to do. 
as followers of Christ. For did not Jesus himself say in Matthew chapter 5 that you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Does perfect sound easy? No. Likewise, the night before he would be betrayed and go to the cross, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And in John 13, verses 34 and 35, he said to them, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Not because you're right, not because you're influential or important or in the spotlight, but what? If you love one another. So why would we choose to do something so hard? Well, this is precisely how God chose to love us in the midst of our mess. God sends the sun and the rain on the good and the bad alike. Jesus did not seek out his own advantage, but he came down into the midst of our mess and he fought injustice, he proclaimed truth, he put up with all things, he trusted in all things, he hoped for all things, and he endured all things on the cross so that we might overcome death together with him and by joining in his resurrection, we might live forever with him. That's the good news. We love because He loved us. Love is necessary. Love is hard. Paul has one more thing to teach us about love in the remainder of this chapter, and I think it's also an answer to the question, why do we, why should we, why do we try to do something so hard as love? Let's pick up and read uh, in verse 8 through the end of the chapter. Paul says, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. And as for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. But then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I am fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Our boys are four and two. Uh, they're pretty cute. I think we will keep them. Uh, <laughs> And over the last few months especially, they've hit this really cool phase where instead of kind of doing their own thing, they like to pal around together when they're playing. And so if you're in our home, it's not too uncommon for you to hear Liam call, come on, Jude, and the pitter-patter of little feet. Or if uh, Jude walks into a room and Liam's not there, he'll go, where's Miam? Because he doesn't know how to say Liam yet. So he says, where's Miam? And, uh, and this little brotherly love is precious, and it's beautiful, and it's good, and it lasts for about an average of five minutes before they start yelling <laughs> at each other. 
and so eventually you will hear, that's mine, or no, or dad, Jude hit me, or it's my turn. And if we don't quickly intervene at this point, eventually it just devolves to high-pitched screeching in unison, right? That's kind of what we do. Uh, and now it's our job, Lauren and I as parents, to help teach them that a $2 toy car is not worth spilling blood over, right? Like uh, that it's our job to give them this broader perspective or understanding that there, uh, there are things in life that might be more important, that, that whoever is reading the Peter Pan book at this exact moment might not just be a matter of life and death, right? There might be other things that they also need to think about and value, like the brother that they're trying to hit in the face. Um, and it's easy for us to look at children and kind of laugh and shake our heads at how trivial and silly their reasons are for fighting. But then you wonder if God is up in heaven chuckling and shaking his head at us, right? Um, we've seen already this morning as we've looked through these uh, verses that Paul is all right with the Corinthians interest in spiritual gifts, right? That, that he even goes as to, so far as to encourage them. Yes, please seek them out. But I think here in these verses, almost as a parent, he's trying to give them a broader perspective or understanding to see that there's things that are more important. And he warns them that it is foolish for them to focus all of their attention, all of their energies, all of their uh, focus into something that isn't even going to last forever, and if it's foolish to focus all of their attention on something that's temporary, it's downright idiotic for them to allow something temporary to drive a wedge between them and other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I mean, think about it. They're arguing about spiritual gifts. So you're a prophet, right? So what? When we all get to heaven, do you think I'm going to come to you like to figure out what I need to do, if I can just go over and walk over to God and like ask him what I need. Like, like let's do the math here, dude. Like you're not all that important in the big scheme of things. And so in the light of all of this, we have to ask ourselves whether it would be more important if I had been proven right or whether I loved, right? I think um, instead that Paul says that what makes love so great uh, why it's worth putting our love, our attention and focus into is that love is forever. Uh, sorry, diamond people, I know that's like your thing, right? You know, diamonds are forever. But, but we understand that one day even diamonds will be dust. But what we do with love has the potential to echo throughout eternity, to truly last forever. In my opinion, I think uh, that one of the most fundamental qualities of uh, maturity, of a mature person, is that this is a person who's willing or able to set aside immediate pleasures for the sake of long-term goals, right? So, um, for instance, like, you know, I could eat out every other day, but I choose not to because I want to save up for a down payment on a house, right? That's a kind of a sign of, of maturity. And mature people base their decisions on what is more important down the road than being driven by whatever is in front of their faces. And Paul tells the Corinthian that the end goal for the Christian, 
that, that the thing that mature believers in Christ should use to govern their choices is that one day we will be face to face with God. And when that day comes, you can either be proud of the fact that you won the argument or you can be so thankful that you chose to love the person, whether they were right or wrong. Paul knew that even though the path of love is hard, that it would never take us to a place that when we arrived, we asked ourselves, how could I be in the wrong place? It would always lead us to a place where God is. The power, I think, also of Paul's point here is that it applies to so much more than just the topic of spiritual gifts. That was the Corinthians right, issue here. But how often do we allow ourselves to become overly focused on things with no real eternal significance? Or how often do we allow secondary issues to, to drive wedges between us and, and other types of Christians or other uh, people who also follow Jesus? Do you actually know what the test of fellowship was for Christians in the earliest days of the church? We actually read it a couple weeks ago when we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In the midst of that chapter, Paul at one point says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You remember that? In other words, that was their line in the sand. Jesus is Lord. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Yes, then we're on the same team. Like everything else is secondary. Uh, and now, what I, when I say that, I'm not saying that you shouldn't use this life to learn and to seek and to follow God and hold even your convictions fiercely, right? The guy who's getting his PhD in the Old Testament certainly isn't telling you to not study your Bibles and to live according to what you find there. But what I am saying is that, and this has been my experience at least, and maybe this has been your experience as well, is that whenever you do find somebody who's doing that, who's pouring into the scriptures, who's humbly seeking God day after day, what you find so often is over and over, they will say something along the lines of, the more I know, the more I realize how much I have to learn. Right? Paul says, we know in part. And so rather than trying to take my stand on what I know, right? Paul says, lay your foundation on something that you know will never fail. And at the end of the day, Paul says that we hang our hats on three things as Christians, faith, hope, and love. Do you trust Jesus? Are you eagerly, excitedly awaiting the day when you get to live together with Jesus forever? And most importantly, do you love Jesus? And do you love those around you because of that love? Or by means of that love? Our bottom line for the day today is this. You'll never be lost if you follow the way of God's love. You'll never be lost if you follow the way of God's love. Let's pray.